Welcome to the WTJX Newsfeed. In today's top stories, lawmakers question the Housing Authority's ability to address the large number of maintenance requests. Two St. Croix business owners have been charged with the theft of COVID relief funds. Police are looking for armed suspects in relation to separate car thefts at rental agencies. These stories and more on today's WTJX Newsfeed. From the Virgin Islands Public Broadcasting System Studios on St. Thomas, this is the WTJX Newsfeed with Marcelina Ventura Douglas. Welcome to the WTJX Newsfeed, bringing you the latest news and updates throughout our community. The new Virgin Islands Housing Authority Executive Director, Dwayne Alexander, appeared before lawmakers just two weeks into his role to present updates on matters pertaining to the Housing Authority. Alongside him, Chief Operating Officer Lydia Pell responded to Senator Samuel Carrion's inquiry on the status of the testified 47 vacant housing units under the Housing Authority. Those are the same vacant units we have to rehabilitate in order for, are available to be rehabilitated, I should say, in order for persons to occupy. So, so it's right, the same so right 47. Now, you don't have anything available to be correct. occupied. Correct. You mean ready. At this moment, ready. Right. That's correct. Uh, that's serious. Um, and, and Senator, to clarify, our ready units are already assigned to individuals. They're pre-assigned. They're pre-assigned. Correct. As well as those that are ready. Because you've, you've also been moving individuals from one area to another to continue your uh, rehabilitating and remodeling process. Correct. Under the ongoing rehabilitation, 43 units are on St. Thomas and four are on St. Croix. That number, however, pales in comparison to the authority's waitlist with 386 persons on the St. Thomas waitlist and 559 on the island of St. Croix. Senator Carrion wondered whether those 559 persons would be first in line for the newly rehabilitated Walter I.M. Hodge Pavilion. Walter I.M. Hodge is a, a different, because it's under the RAD program, um, as you see, we have a notification that's been publicized that waiting list is now open. So we have approximately 100 units that will be going through. People can apply. Um, we're currently using the current waiting list that we have for public housing right now, and those people are being vetted through the verification. Okay, so those will be new clients, new tenants that you would have in that area. Correct. Lawmakers appear dismayed at the testimony of the high number of work orders presently open. As of February 8th, a 2024 VHI had 2,222 open work orders. Asset management is committed to addressing work orders monthly. During the month of December, staff concentrated on decreasing outstanding work orders that are 91 days plus outstanding in addition to managing routine work orders. During that time, Director Alexander stated they had completed 792 work orders and told Senator Dwayne DeGraff they hope to complete the remainder of orders by the end of March. And knowing the actual business, that technically uh, work orders should be done in uh, 30 seconds. You should have 11 days, but in the industry standard, it should be three to five days. But in more uh, realistic 
uh, uh, you can get it in one to three days. So having the work orders that we have at the point in time that we have them at, it shouldn't be there. Technically, uh, we have to be in competitive, uh, be competitive to people that's in the real market of uh, managing property. So, so what you're saying basically, and before I wrap up, is 2,200 time. work orders can be completed by the end of March. Yes, providing we in, have in, the material. In industry standard, of two to three days where it should be done. Yes, industry standard. To me, that's impossible. Despite the new executive director's testimony that two major factors regarding the high number of work orders included the availability of supplies and materials and a reduction in the number of budgeted maintenance positions for hire, he promised to further look at the orders and determine the deficiencies. The Virgin Islands Attorney General's office will be representing former Governor Kenneth Mapp and former Attorney General Vincent Frazier in the lawsuit filed by victims of sex offender Jeffrey Epstein. At present, they will not be representing other government officials who have also been named as defendants. Named in the lawsuit include former First Lady Cecile DeYoung, former Governor John P. DeYoung Jr., former Senator Sandalstino White Sr. and Carlton Dow, and delegate to Congress, Stacey Plaskett. In January, attorneys for former Governor John DeYoung filed a 26-page motion to dismiss the case or have it transferred to the Virgin Islands District Courts. Other defendants have not yet filed a response to the complaint. According to court documents, Carlton Dow is proceeding pro se and representing himself, and former Senator Celestino White filed a request to have more time to hire counsel. Assistant VI Attorney General and Chief of the Civil Division, Venetia Velasquez, has filed an appearance on behalf of the government, MAP, and Frazier, and requested until March 8th to file a 40-page response to the complaint. Attorneys from Kaiser Law in Washington, D.C. filed appearances on behalf of the former First Lady, and Eric Breslin of the firm Duane Morris filed an appearance for Delegate Plaskett earlier this week and asked the presiding judge for an extension of time to respond to the complaint, arguing that Plaskett was an elected official and has a very demanding work and travel schedule. The request was granted and the judge ordered all motions to be filed by March 28th. An initial pre-trial conference is scheduled for May 3rd. There has not yet been an announcement on who will replace Office of Cannabis Regulations Director Hannah Cardi, who has resigned from the position and her last day of March 8th quickly approaches. Attorney Key Walker of the Walker Legal Group, who serves as a legal consultant, believes that Director Cardi's departure will not slow the progress being made. I'm still involved in the rollout of the cannabis program, so I wasn't surprised by it. Um, however, I don't believe that Ms. Cardi's resignation is going to slow the progress. There are a couple things that are going on right now, one of which is amendments to the legislation that really need to be implemented for the rollout to be successful. And those are before the legislature, and I understand that Senator Donna Fred Gregory's office is currently working on them. Um, uh, Ms. Cardi had already published the proposed draft rules and regulations, which have been completely vetted, completely reviewed, and now is out to the public for review. Um, and then in addition to that, there is still a cannabis advisory board, and they've already started the search for Hannah Cardi's replacement. And just with working with her, she's extremely detailed, she's extremely organized. She has left 
a roadmap and she's created enough um, documents to allow for a seamless transition to a new OCR director. So I don't believe that her resignation will slow us down at all. Dr. Catherine Ken, who serves as the Cannabis Advisory Board Chair, shared with the newsfeed that the board has in fact received and screened applicants to replace Director Cardi. She anticipates for interviews to begin next week with the potential for a candidate to be selected by the following week post-interviews. Responding on the cause for the slow movement to achieve full legalization, Attorney Walker says politics is to blame. It's really the the legislation which has been the hiccup. So if you will recall, Senator Saro had the ownership of the legislation. And there was a battle back and forth somewhat between Government House and, and Senator Saro in trying to really get this passed. What ended up passing was a version that Senator Saro issued years after Governor Bryan had already sent down um, draft legislation. And when that was issued, there was a mad rush to get it done and get it passed by the legislature at that time. And those members of the legislature were working till one, two o'clock in the morning to get it passed. They got it passed. It's a pretty decent um, law, but there were some issues. There were some typos. There were some um, logistical issues that weren't cleaned up in the middle of the night. And that's what needed to be cleaned up. Tune in to Comes with the Territory this Sunday on WTJX-TV Channel 12 for the full discussion and more at 1 p.m. with a re-air at 7 p.m. Police on St. Thomas are investigating two vehicular theft operations that took place at two different car rental agencies. According to the Virgin Islands Police Department, on Wednesday at approximately 10.29 p.m., officers responded to a report of an ongoing vehicle theft at Blue Car Rental. Reports indicate that officers' rapid response was able to stop further unlawful removal of the vehicles. The suspects still managed to leave with one vehicle, a silver Suzuki XL7, bearing the plate number TGO-938. Reports indicate that the suspects involved in the theft were considered armed and dangerous. Also that evening at approximately 10.40 p.m., officers responded to a report of an ongoing vehicle theft at the discount car rental. Again, according to reports, officers' rapid response prevented further thefts, with suspects, however, managing to leave with one Jeep Wrangler. Officers later discovered the vehicle at the Niski intersection abandoned after they had halted all traffic in the area in pursuit of the armed suspects. The department is asking anyone with information about the incident to contact the Investigation Bureau at 340-774-2211, Crime Stoppers VI at 1-800-222-TIPS, or directly to the Chief's Office at 340-715-5546, or the Commissioner's Office at 340-715-5506. Also on St. Thomas, the Virgin Islands Police Department is asking for the community's help to locate an armed suspect wanted in connection to a robbery at Kmart in Lockhart Mall. The 911 center received a call that a black male had removed several items from the establishment, brandished what appeared to be a firearm at the security officer, and then fled on foot. Anyone with information is urged to contact 911 or the Criminal Investigation Bureau Detective D. Grinaway Thomas at 340-774-2211, extension 5574, or by calling Crime Stoppers VI. 
the office of Senator-at-Large Angel Bocas Jr. and Senator Marvin Blyden will be hosting a homebuyer credit workshop. WTJX's Isabel Tier spoke with Senator Bocas today about this initiative. Next week, residents of St. Thomas and St. John will have the opportunity to participate in free home buyer credit workshops. However, these workshops are geared towards residents of three specific properties. Lovenland Apartments on St. Thomas and Bellevue Village and Calabash Boom Apartments on St. John will soon be acquired by Jackson Development, and Senator Angel Bolquez Jr. says residents of those properties have certain homeownership rights. From the inception, um, these properties had um, stipulations, whereas residents who had moved into the properties would have the opportunity to opt in to become uh, homeowners after a certain period of time. That period of time is 15 years, which is why Senator Bolquez, along with Senator Marvin Blyden, want to make sure residents of those properties are prepared to take the next step. Specifically, we wanted to cater it to those individuals because we know that this is coming up down mm -hmm. the pipeline. So, um, And they'll be able to learn about um, the different uh, financial opportunities that each of the different financial institutions can provide for home ownership. Those attending the workshops will have the opportunity to speak with representatives from Banco Popular, Oriental Bank, Merchants Bank, and First Bank for personalized advice and support. So you'll be able to determine like, oh, okay, well, I'm in with this bank now, but this other bank perhaps might be a better fit for me with my job and my salary and what they're willing to offer for me to be able to at least try to access home ownership. So they're gonna learn a lot. The St. Thomas workshop will take place on Thursday, March 7th from 6 to 9 p.m. in the Earl B. Otley Legislative Hall. And the St. John workshop will happen the following day, Friday, March 8th from 6 to 9 p.m. in the Cleon H. Creaky Legislative Conference Room. Senator Bolquez says that while these events are designed for specific residents, the public can attend if space permits. We, we want to make sure that we get the residents of those housing communities, you know, situated. But if there is space, even if you're not a resident of one of those housing communities, you're more than welcome to attend. Isabel Tier, WTJX Newsfeed. Prosecutors are alleging that the co-owners of St. Croix-based business Island Services Group used emergency federal financial assistance funds, more commonly known as a PPP loan, for their own personal enrichment rather than the intended utilization for businesses impacted by COVID-19. That's according to documents unsealed by the U.S. District Court of the Virgin Islands. Florida resident Kimberly McCollum and St. Croix resident Morris Anselmi are being indicted for conspiracy to commit wire fraud, wire fraud, mail fraud, and making false statements to the U.S. Small Business Administration and a financial institution. According to the grand jury indictment, Anselmi applied in June of 2020 and Island Services Group received just under $500,000 in PPP loans. The following month, $200,000 were transferred out of the company's account and into McCollum's personal United Fidelity bank account. Less than a week later, on July 21st, those funds were transferred again into McCollum's personal Bank of America account. 
The Island Services Group received a second portion of PPP loans, also amounting to just under $500,000, in March of 2021. The following day, $300,000 was transferred to McCollum's United Fidelity account, and in April, McCollum transferred $200,000 from that account to Bank of America, and then subsequently purchased a $200,000 annuity for herself from Jackson National Life. McCollum's LinkedIn profile has her of the owner of the company and also lists a nine-year membership with the St. Croix Chamber of Commerce, including two years as president. Prosecutors allege that the Island Services Group would not have been able to transfer half a million dollars into McCollum's personal bank account if it were not for the PPP loans. Further, McCollum applied for loan forgiveness on the first draw and Anselmi, who prosecutors say is the co-owner of the business, applied for forgiveness on the second. The second application claimed that the Island Services Group spent an estimated $369,000 in covered operational expenditures and omitted the $300,000 that was transferred to McCollum. According to court documents, McCollum was arrested and arraigned on February 28th, and Anselmi has been hospitalized in Texas with a serious medical ailment. The new Vitran ferry that will provide service between St. Thomas and St. John needs a name, and the Department of Public Works is currently accepting submissions for it. The deadline to submit a suggested name is March 22nd, and it can be sent to dpwpio at dpw.vi.gov. The Lutheran Social Services of the Virgin Islands is preparing to open a new Early Head Start building on the island of St. Croix. After purchasing four acres of property on the North Shore area, not far from their current location, Lutheran Social Services Chief Executive Officer Junia John Straker says they are soon preparing to open the doors of the newly constructed 20,000 square foot space. The building is going to serve as a replacement to our current North Shore Road um, early Head Start Center, but it will be built with, it's built with features that would include um, being able to um, invite or serve the families of the children in the program, along with the staff. In a case of a, another disaster, they'll be able to come in and um, get a meal, take a shower, do their laundry, um, they'll be able to um, charge their phones and just a place that they could come and and recover or, or be able to help in the recovery after a natural disaster. But on, on the ordinary day, it'll serve as an early head start center. The classrooms are a lot, lot larger. They have beautiful spaces in the classrooms. They have two indoor playgrounds, and they're going to have an extraordinary um, natural playground on the outside that's um, going to be sort of section off based on the age group. She says a lot of thought was put into the overall design of the space. When you do your um, walkthrough, you're going to see um, terrazzos, Tile. You're going to see just a beautiful building. The kitchen is outfitted with stainless steel. I mean, they, we really did put a lot of thoughts 
into making this something that the families and children now and in the future that are served in that early head start program will be really, really proud of and well served in. Finance Commissioner Kevin McCurdy and Agriculture Commissioner Dr. Lewis Peterson have officially been sworn in as members of Governor Albert Bryan's cabinet. Family members, colleagues, and supporters attended the ceremony held in the Columban Hall of Holy Family Church on St. Thomas. After taking the pledge, Finance Commissioner McCurdy recounted his nomination hearing. Uh, during my confirmation hearing, I believe it was Senator Fred Gregory who mentioned that don't try to change everything at once. And I must confess, that is very difficult. Not because I think I can change everything at once, but because I want to leave the department, I want to build, as the Lieutenant Governor said, build on the shoulders of those who were before me and leave the department in a much better place than I found it, to include the people and the operations. Newly sworn Agriculture Commissioner Dr. Lewis Peterson stated that in the moment he was truly humbled by the support being shown and thanked his many supporters who were present. All of you, in some way, in some capacity, has impacted my life, meant something meaningful to me, and that's why you are here. Governor Albert Bryan Jr. commended the commissioners for being willing to take on their roles. It's a bravery to come because this is not a community where you're not going to see the people that you interact, that you're making decisions about every day. They're going to stop you. And the one thing about our people, they are not shy at all. They tell you exactly how they feel. So I, I, I really take, when I pin that pin on, really take it seriously because people could be other places and doing other things. In more updates on the news feed, we're turning now to our regional report. Haitian police were overwhelmed by a series of coordinated violent attacks by gang members across the capital, which killed four officers yesterday. That's according to a national police spokesman, Gary Disrosier, who said on local radio earlier today that the city center was at war. Yesterday's attacks in Port-au-Prince were led by gunmen who opened fire on targets, including Haiti's International Airport, and seized control of two police stations. Jimmy Cherizier, a former elite police officer known as Barbecue, who now runs a gang federation known as G9 and Families and Allies, claimed responsibility for the attacks. He said the objective was to capture Haiti's police chief and government ministers and prevent the return of Prime Minister Ariel Henry, who is currently in Kenya, to push for the UN-backed deployment of police. Neither the police chief nor government ministers were injured or captured in the attack. As of late this morning, most of Port-au-Prince remained peaceful as people timidly resumed their routines. The main international airport reopened, although the downtown area was reportedly largely deserted as most schools and businesses remained closed. We're turning now to our meteorologist for the territory's weather forecast. I'm meteorologist Derek Weblars, and this is your WTJX local forecast. Scattered showers will continue tonight, mainly before midnight. Then it's probably cloudy after midnight. Lows back into the middle and upper 70s. A northeast wind at 15 to 20 miles per hour. We'll find bright sunshine on Saturday. Highs reach the middle 80s. Winds from the northeast at 15 to 20 with gusts to 25. The UV index moderate to high. Rip current risk also high. And we'll find mostly clear skies overnight into Sunday with lows back into the middle 70s. More showers on Sunday itself. The rip current risk will remain high 
high for area beaches as we go into the start of next week as winds remain higher from the northeast. We are at the end of today's WTJX News Feed. I'm Marcelina Ventura Douglas. Join me every weekday at 5 p.m. And if you haven't already, be sure to download the WTJX app. If you missed a part of our news, you can listen to it on demand wherever you get your podcasts. 